Jesus was a real human baby, and that's why we are here to celebrate this morning. Um, we, are, we have been in our series um, called The Songs of Advent, and in this series we're reading and talking about the songs that various people and angels sang around the time of Jesus' birth. Um, in, the, in the Gospel of Luke, that we see there's um, a few people a few, and angels um, that upon the news or, upon the, the, or, or talking about the good um, results of Jesus being born, they sing about it. They explode in praise about God being born and God coming to this earth for real. And that is what we're wrapping up today is our series um, in the Songs of Advent. Now, I know we have a couple of little ones in the room today. Um, and so for that reason, I will do my best to keep this brief, but you got to stay with me. Um, I'm, I will keep it brief. You stay with me. Bada boom, bada bing. It'll be great. And if your kids are talking, it's fine. Kids talk. If your kid's crying, it's fine. Kids cry. So don't feel, don't feel bad. Don't feel guilty. People don't, in the room, don't stare them down. It happens. You, 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 were, you were once a kid. You were once cryy and chatty and jittery and all the, all the things. And so having the kids here is great and a wonderful blessing. Um, welcome, little ones. <laughs> Hi. Hi, little ones. Hello. <laughs> Welcome to Big Kid Church. Okay. All right. We're going to jump in. All right. So the passage that we're in today, the guy that we're looking at today is a guy named Simeon. Um, Jesus was born. Here's the background. Jesus was born as a real person, as a real baby into this world. Um, he was put into his mother Mary's womb by the Holy Spirit, and her and Joseph are his earthly parents. And so where, where we're going to be at is they are good Jewish people, and so they're going to the temple to do what good Jewish people do with their kids. They bring him to the temple to perform what are called purification rites. Um, and so enter Simeon. Forty days have passed since the birth of Jesus at this point. And here come um, Mary and Joseph into the temple, um, ready to redeem their firstborn son, Jesus. There was nothing outwardly to distinguish them, no marks or signs that indicated that they were who they were or anything other than just a, a random lower middle class young couple coming to the temple with their newborn son. Okay, that's where we are at um, in Scripture. Now, aside from Luke, what we're told in Luke 2, where we're going to be, so if you have a Bible, turn to Luke chapter 2, um, the guy that we're going to talk about, Simeon, isn't mentioned anywhere else. We know nothing about him. We don't know his background. We don't know where he's from. We don't know his education. We don't know what he does for a living. He just simply appears on this stage of history, in this big day of history, um, as just a bit player in the events surrounding the birth of Christ. And so after, the, and after this part's over, after his part is over, he fades away from the scene. He, we don't see anything ever from him ever again. Um, and so he's just a random guy that is in um, the temple at the time of um, Jesus. And so here comes Mary, here comes Joseph, here comes Simeon. Never met each other before. They have no personal relation that we're told of or, or anything. Um, but God divinely planned this encounter to take place. Um, in Luke. And so Luke tells the story this way in Luke chapter 2, starting in verse 25. I'm going to read the whole thing. There was a man in Jerusalem whose name was Simeon. This man was righteous and devout, looking forward to Israel's consolation. And the Holy Spirit was on him. It had been revealed to him by the Holy Spirit that he would not see death before he saw the Lord's Messiah. Guided by the Spirit, he entered the temple. When the parents brought in the child Jesus to perform for him what was customary under the law, Simeon took him up in his arms praised God and said, now, master, this is the song, now, master, you can dismiss your servant in peace as you promised. For my eyes have seen your salvation. You have prepared it in the presence of all peoples, a light for the revelation of the Gentiles and glory to your people, Israel. 
His father and mother, Joseph and Mary, were amazed at what was being said about their son, Jesus. Then Simeon blessed them and told his mother, Mary, Indeed, this child is destined to cause the fall and rise of many in Israel and to be a sign that will be opposed, and a sword will pierce your own soul, that the thoughts of many hearts may be revealed. This is Luke chapter 2, verses 25 through 35 um, in Simeon's song. So these verses give us some information about Simeon. It says that he was righteous and that he was devout and that he was waiting for the consolation of Israel. What that means is just he's waiting um, for the Messiah, waiting for God to save Israel as he promised. It says that he was a spirit-filled man and that he was eagerly awaiting the anticipated appearance of the Messiah. That last part is fascinating. He was told by the Holy Spirit, he was told by God that you will not die before you see the Messiah. So what a promise that would be, that, that, that I will not die until I see God's salvation. Now, we don't know anything about him, but if Simeon is an old man, which could seem likely based on the fact that he's like ready to die, he might not be, he might be 20, um, but likely he's old. He's been probably waiting in the temple for many years, waiting on this day for many years, day by day, praying to see the Lord's Christ. As he grew older, his anticipation probably kept growing stronger because the older you get, the closer you are to your death. The Lord, he just must be thinking the Lord's Christ must be there at any moment. So he's in expectation, joining along with his people, with Israel in expectation of the Lord's coming, of the Lord's consolation, of the Lord's salvation and redemption to his people. And so just think about it. If you're Simeon, getting up early every morning, going to the temple, watching for the Messiah to come, not knowing what you're looking for, what he should look like. Did he know to look for a baby or was he looking for a teenager or a big strong man? He didn't know. We don't, we don't know all any of these things. He, we just know that he was told that he would not die until he sees the Lord's salvation. And then here comes Mary holding the baby in her arms with Joseph by her side, Jesus being only 40 days old because that's what, he, what age he would have been for these um, uh, rituals to happen. And suddenly being communicated by the Holy Spirit, suddenly Simeon's heart leaps within him. The long days of waiting are over. The Lord's Christ is before him. He, here is the one who the nation has been waiting for, who God's people has been waiting for. And hopefully this is the scenario. Hopefully he walks over, hopefully introduces himself, hopefully asks, do you mind if I hold your child? Instead of, ah, give me that thing. You know, hopefully he asks, do you mind if I hold your child? And as Mary gives the infant Jesus to Simeon, the thought hits him, I am holding the salvation of the world in my arms, the salvation of the world. Salvation is a person that's in the person of Christ. And so at that point, Simeon breaks out into a song of praise. This just makes me think of like a musical. We don't, we don't really live in a day and age where, unless, you, unless you're David, um, when, you get into, when you get excited, when you get happy, you burst into, into music. We, we're not, we don't live in a musical. I sometimes wish we did, that I would annoy my wife less because I make a lot of noises and whistle and sing a lot. Um, but this is what I picture here is he, he, he sees the good news of Christ in the person that he is holding, sees salvation and bursts in praise into this beautiful song that he sings. This song is called, historically called the Nunc Dimittis, which is a Latin translation of his words. It says, now dismiss. Um, nerd thing for you. Don't know what that does for you, but that's what it's called. Um, and he sings his song. We just read it. So his first thought is now that he's ready to die. 
The word dismiss um, is to be understood as a, as a military word used to describe a soldier who has stood watch for a long time and finally his shift is over and can go and be dismissed and have rest and be relieved of his duties. And that is the, the same feeling of what Simeon is feeling right now. The long wait is over. The years of anticipation have been fulfilled. His duty is finished for he has personally seen and held and embraced the Lord's salvation. Now, he, he won't live to see Jesus grow up. He won't witness any of the great miracles. He won't see Jesus walk on water. He won't see the feeding of the 5,000. He won't see Jesus raise people from the dead. Simeon will be long gone when Jesus does all of this stuff, at least what we see. The crucifixion and the resurrection is hidden to him, but it doesn't matter to him because he got to see and embrace the Savior, and that is enough. And so today we're going to dive into what he says about Jesus, what he says about salvation, because salvation comes through the person of Jesus. We're going to look at three important things about who he is, about who Jesus is, and what him bringing salvation means for the world. So my first point um, of what Simeon says is that he makes makes it known that salvation is solid. In verse 32, he calls him the glory to your people, Israel. Simeon sees the fulfillment of the hopes and dreams and the, and the anticipation of what the Jewish people across centuries have been looking for. To call Jesus the glory of Israel takes us back to when God spoke to Abraham and said, I will make your name great and make, and make of you a great nation and through you all the nations on the earth will be blessed. And then that reaffirmed to, his, to Isaac and then to Jacob. And then God told Moses that one day a great prophet would come. Um, who would be unlike any other prophet before him. Then later, God promised to David a son who would reign on his throne forever. Still later, God spoke through Isaiah and promised that a son would be born of a virgin and that his name would be call, called Emmanuel, God with us. And later, Micah predicted the Messiah would be born in Bethlehem for generations. This promise was repeated. They had been told about it. They had been told to anticipate it, to expect this to happen, and it's finally happening from father to son, from mother to daughter, from family to family, from older to younger, from Jewish passed down to Jewish person. People were taught to pray and expect the Messiah's appearance. And so by the time you get to the first century, you have all these expectations built up. You have all these expectations built up, and here he is. Now, some Jews thought the Messiah would come to be a great political leader who would overthrow Rome to restore Israel to like the top place in the world. Others thought he would be God. Um, still others expected uh, a second Moses or a second Elijah, just a random prophet. So there was like a lot of like confusion, like what, what's this guy going to be? What's he going to be like? And now after all these years of expectation and praying and anticipating and asking God for this to happen, the promises are coming true. God is being true to his word. That's what Simeon means when he calls him the glory of Israel. This shows us that God stays true to his word. He said that he would deliver Israel, and he did, through the person of Jesus. He promises salvation, and salvation is what he gave through the person of Jesus. We can look to this and know confidently that God is a God of his word and that our salvation is solid. It is written in stone that God is, the God, is a God that stays true to what he says he's going to do and what he has done. We live in a world of lies and unmet promises and unmet expectations. Uh, and, and unfortunately, this comes from the leaders that we follow, usually. And I think that we would do well to be conscious of this. That, that because we live in a world of unmet expectations, we need to be conscious of this and not bring this to our God. The salvation that God provides to us, that God gives to us is solid. We can trust in that. We can lean on that. This answers the question of, if, can we trust God? Can we trust that he saved me? Can we rely on the words that he says? 
Can we depend on him? The answer is yes. Our salvation is solid. It is written in stone and nothing can erase it. Nothing can take it away. Okay, so it's solid, but who is it for is the next thing that I want to talk about what Simeon says. His salvation is for all. He says, a light for revelation to the Gentiles. Now, here's a completely new thought. You won't find this in any of the other songs. They're all written kind of from a Jewish perspective, and, and it, it opens it up to the world. The, the angels' song broadens the viewpoint. They say, peace on earth, goodwill toward um, those whom he pleases. So it's just like anyone who pleases God, that is where, who his goodwill goes to. But nowhere in any of the previous songs that we've talked about are Gentiles mentioned. Now, Gentiles, short explanation, are just the people that are not the people of God, people that aren't Jewish. And so we, unless you're Jewish, we are Gentiles. So every, this applies to us. We are the Gentile people that God's salvation applies to. But Simeon explicitly says that this baby will not only be the glory of his own people, he will also be a light of revelation to the Gentiles, to all people that aren't just the people of Israel. He's not just for Israel. He didn't just come for their benefit. He came to shine his light, to shine the light of revelation of God to every nation, every tribe, every tongue, every, everyone. The Jews couldn't say he belongs to us and you can't have him, nor could they say you have to become a Jew to enjoy Messiah's benefit. Now, if we read, read on in the, in the Gospels in the New Testament, we see that they try to do that. They try to make everyone be a Jew, but that's not the case. Simeon's words explode this, this um, standard that you would think the Jews would put on everyone else. So he's the savior of the whole world, rich and poor, young and old, black and white, Jew and Gentile, American and fill in the blank, healthy and handicapped. All people are included in his coming. He didn't come for a small group. He came for the whole world. He offers his salvation to the whole world. And notice I said he offers it to the whole world. That doesn't mean that the whole world accepts it, and we're going to get into that in a little while. But let's get that clear. He offers his salvation to the whole world. So that means that there's hope for you at Christmas time. That you applies to all yous around us, all yous out there, all yins out there for my Pittsburgh folks out there. Um, I'm not from Pittsburgh, but I listen to Pat McAfee a lot, and he's from Pittsburgh, and so I feel like I'm like ad- being adopted into the yinzer culture for some reason. Um, but all yins out there, all yous out there, this applies to all yous. If you are lonely this year, Simeon meant to include you. If your family has rejected you, Simeon here is including you. God is, forg- is including you. If you have been forgotten, depressed, discouraged, down on your luck, or you've, you feel like you've done something that is unforgivable, this is, this is the message of, of you are included. All yous out there are included in God's offer of salvation. Christmas, the meaning of Christmas is that you can be forgiven because Jesus came for you, all of the yous. And this is me underlining all of yous. It's true that he was a Jew, but he didn't just come for Jews. Jesus was Jewish, but he didn't just come for Jews. He illustrates his wide-reaching message throughout his ministry. He, in all the interactions he has with people of other races and nationalities that don't have peaceful, peaceful relations with the Syrophesian woman, with um, the uh, I'm blanking, um, but he, he illustrates that, uh, that this is open to all. He, he shows that, that this is open to all nationalities, all kinds of people, rich, poor, weird, cool, like you name it. All people his offer of salvation goes out for. 
And so by sending his son to earth, by God sending his son to earth, he's not only fulfilling his promises to his nation, to the people that have carried out his will in history, but now bringing it to the world, a savior for all people everywhere. Okay, so it's solid. It's offered to all. And now the last part is that there are two relationships to salvation. This is the hard part. Third thing that Simeon says, let's just read that end part of the passage. His father and mother were amazed at what was being said about him. Then Simeon blessed them and told his mother, Mary, indeed this child is destined to cause the fall and rise of many in Israel and to, begin, and to be a sign that will be opposed. And a sword will pierce your own soul that the thoughts of many hearts may be revealed. So the third and final thing Simeon says about Jesus basically creates a divide. He will cause many to fall. He will cause many to rise. And many will speak against him. And in speaking against him, the hidden thoughts in your hearts will be revealed. Now, just a side note, what a thing to say about a tiny baby. Mary, I know you're happy now and and joyful, um, but later you're going to weep. Later he is going to cause you to cry and, and have anguish. Today your heart is filled with joy and later it will be filled with sorrow. Rejoice in this time because dark days are coming. Now, now I hopefully soon, my wife is 37 weeks pregnant, I'll get to experience this and know this more real, but all you parents in the room know that as a parent, the worst thing that can happen to you is to see your children suffer. Most of us would do anything to spare our needless pain from our children. We'll gladly suffer ourselves if it will make a way easier for our children. That's what it means to be a mom or a dad, that you take the pain yourself so your children won't have to. At least that's what we want to do. Simeon is saying, Mary, they are going to kill this child, and you won't be able to do anything about it. They're going to hate him. They're going to lie about him. They're going to spread rumors about you and Joseph. They'll smear his name and your name with malicious lies, and you'll have to stand by hopelessly and watch it happen. And down the road, this all came true. Eventually, they questioned Jesus' mental ability. They snickered and said, he thinks he's the son of God, but he's just filled with demons. In the end, hatred took full control, and they arrested Jesus and put him on trial as a blasphemer, as a liar. They beat him within an inch of his life. After the trial, he was condemned to die. And in the end, Mary stood by the cross and watched her son die in agonizing, brutal, bloody, inhuman death. This isn't the usual Christmas story that you hear. I know, but it's the reality of what Simeon is saying to us right now. It all happened exactly as Simeon had predicted. When Mary watched her son die, a sword pierced her soul. Above the cradle stands a cross. That's how one uh, commentator put it. This little baby was born to die. The joy of Christmas leads to the agony of Good Friday. He was born to end up that way. So, It's a gospel side note. There's two relationships to salvation. And there's no neutrality. Did you notice how he put it? Because of Jesus, the thoughts thoughts of many hearts will be revealed. Underline that in your mind. With Jesus, there is no neutrality. No one can ever come face-to-face with Jesus, face-to-face with the reality of this real salvation that is offered to you, to all use, and be neutral. That's what Simeon means when he says that Jesus will cause the rising of many and the falling of many. You either go higher spiritually with Jesus when you meet Jesus, or you turn around and go the other way and you fall. Now, how can that be? People rise or fall according to their personal response to Jesus. 
there's only two sides of the coin that we see in the gospel message in, in Scripture. Those who believe in Jesus and those who don't. There isn't a middle ground. There's no fence to sit on. Now, I know it's popular in America, and especially in a place like Denver, to sit on the fence regarding who Jesus is. It, it's, you could call him a good teacher, and you could call him a good person, a great moral example, and kind of make him a side part of your life and so on. That's, that's easy here because that's kind of a cultural norm. Simeon is saying that we can't do that, that our hearts will be revealed, whether it's real or not, will be revealed. You, can't, you have to make up your mind about Jesus. Either he is the Son of God from heaven or he's not, and he is. And if he is the Son of God, then the only possible response for us is to bow down and worship him. At Christmas time, we have two options regarding Jesus. Either you join Herod in trying to kill him, or, or you join the wise men in bowing down and worshiping him. And there's nothing in between. Remember this. If you are indifferent, you've really just joined the side that wants to kill him. So who is Jesus to you? He's, he's life or death. Let me just tell you the reality of it. He is life or death. He is heaven or hell. He is joy or sorrow, guilt or forgiveness, salvation or condemnation. He is everlasting life, life to the full, or everlasting punishment or everlasting sorrow. And that's the reality of what Simeon is saying. The little baby who is the glory of Israel, who is the light of the world, is also, also puts in this great divide. The way you respond to Jesus reveals what is who you are, or what is in your heart, what it, who you are. Um, the way you respond to Jesus tells you who you are, tells us who you are and what you are and what's in your heart, but that's not all. The way you respond to Jesus, the reality is, tells, tells you where you're going to spend eternity. Jesus himself said, I come, to bring peace. I come not to bring peace, but a sword. Simeon saw it from the very beginning. So who, he, who is he to you? So every Sunday we take communion. Um, we have the opportunity to look again at our relationship with Christ, to look at what he did for us, to respond either real or fake to what he did, to reflect, to celebrate and join him in his death and resurrection. So as you partake of the elements, and, and just right, right by the candles, there are communion cups. If you are a believer, I welcome you um, to take communion with us this morning after I finish um, preaching. But I want to ask you to pray through this, that you could see him truly and be all in for Jesus, that you can be, see him as he truly is. Now, so when Simeon took him in his arms, he said, Lord, I am ready to go home now. I can die in peace. No one is ready to die until they have seen Jesus, truly ready to die. Once you've seen him, death is no longer an enemy. Being able to say, I can die in peace, having that reality, being able to live with that reality is that I can die in peace is a miracle type of thing. Think about it. Like by the end of your life, you want to probably have accomplished these many things. You have a bucket list item of I want to be this far in my career and have this many children and this many grandchildren and have this big a retirement account. But by meeting Jesus, by seeing and embracing Jesus, we can say, no matter what age we are, that I can live and die in peace. And it could be true that you may live your life and you may come to the end and not having had as successful a career as you like. You may live in some frustration because you haven't accomplished all your personal goals. You may not be able to see how certain things turn out that you want to see turned out. You may not have lived your life exactly how you would have planned it to go. But, and this is like a really big but a really big consequence is if you can come to the end of your life and say, I have seen the Lord's Christ, I've seen God's salvation, then you have had a good life because it has been redeemed by God. 
And all these things, all these bucket list items become so small when compared to the glorious day that we get to be in the presence of our Savior, whose salvation is solid and is available to all people and can only be experienced by being all in for him. In the end, the only thing that matters is Jesus. And obviously this has implications and effects on everything and how we live our life. And that's why you come back to church. That's why you dig into the word. That's why you become a part of the community is how, how, see how this fleshes out in your life, how the good news of the gospel is fleshed out in your life. But it's Christmas time. And I want to ask you, do you know him? God whose salvation is solid, God who kept, keeps his promises, do you know that God? God who's the savior of the world who is available to all, do you know him? He's the God who says you are either for me or against me. Do you know him? It's Christmas time. Do you know him? Let me pray for you. Jesus, thank you for Christmas, for being able to celebrate alongside you the, the, the salvation plan that you have carried out in your son and that you are carrying out in the world right now. God, today we bring you praise. God, today we glorify you. God, today help us to leave here to bring your light to the world, to bring you um, to the world and to get this message in the world, God, that we are either here and for you or we are here and against you, God, and that there are eternal consequences and results for that, God. God, we love you and we just ask that you be glorified in us today. In Jesus' name we pray, amen.